I think it was the very first long trip that I took as a youth minister. I'd taken a lot of trips as a teenager uh, in time in the youth group and being an intern, but this was the first time that I can remember loading up a van full of other people's children. At the time, we lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and we were traveling across the desert to Six Flags Magic Mountain uh, for our own spiritual experience. Um, The spiritual experience being when you're on the roller coasters, you're just praying like you've never prayed before. So uh, that was in a different age and in a different era, the late 1900s, as some of the children say. Um, We didn't have, everyone didn't have a cell phone. Those of us who did had what you would call a dumb phone. Uh, when you wanted to go somewhere that you had never been, uh, you pulled out this giant Rand McNally map, this atlas, and you would flip the pages to the different states. Sounds quite archaic, I know. And, and, but then in the late 90s, there was this amazing website that someone had developed called MapQuest. And you could put in where you wanted to go. It was kind of pre-GPS, and you could type where you were starting from, where you wanted to go, and it would print out turn-by-turn directions. So, being the avant-garde youth minister that I was, I decided to use MapQuest instructions to get us from Phoenix, Arizona to Six Flags Magic Mountain. It went pretty well, navigated us all the way across those states and guided us through the desert without incident until we got to the very end of the journey. When we got to the end of the journey, I was following. I'm a, I'm a rule follower, okay? Just to just, you know, I follow the rules. I'm, I'm following the step-by-step, driving quarter-mile turn here, driving. And I noticed that it, it seemed to be not in the place. I had never been to Six Flags Magic Mountain, but, but where Magic uh, MapQuest was taking us did not seem to be the place I had envisioned as Magic Mountain. It seemed to be turning us off of the main highway and into kind of a neighborhood and, and into a little uh, housing development. And, and I'll never forget getting to the place where it said was Six Flags Magic Mountain looked like a three-bedroom, two-bath house. <laughs> Not what I had envisioned. It's, it's a really important thing to pay attention to who you follow. Paying attention to the instructions that you're given because they're not always correct. Sixteen years or so later, Christy and I took our first trip to the Mayo Clinic up in Rochester, Minnesota. And we went up there and someone from this congregation was kind enough. They said, do you have a GPS? And this is when they were pretty new. I said, no, I never used one before. And I said, well, here, you can use our GPS for the trip to Minnesota. So we plugged in, and this was cool. This was way better than MapQuest. We traveled up to Minnesota. Uh, We were staying at a a place there, um, kind of a charitable organization, that they gave you uh, lodging at low cost. We were arriving very late at night. And I remember that as we got there, kind of the same thing happened. The place where we were supposed to be going was not the place where we arrived. Now, this was advanced technology. This was 16 years later. A good lesson for all of us to remember 
to pay attention to whose instructions you're following. It is with those two stories and that, that warning in mind that we set the foundation for our lesson this morning as we talk about our second in the series of three lessons called Seeking Shepherds. Last week we began this series, we started with our why. Uh, this is really aimed at you longtime Church of Christers who know that anytime the preacher talks about elders or shepherds, that usually means we are heading toward installing some new ones, appointing some new shepherds. And I'm a little sad about that, but it's okay. We still need to understand why shepherds are important. So we talked about that. If you didn't hear that lesson, you can catch it on Vimeo or YouTube. Uh, today, we're going to talk, get a little more into the what. Uh, it's easy to focus on the what, but we have to start with why. Uh, at Northside, we have six shepherds. Uh, you'll notice uh, one of those guys is missing. Uh, Jim and Frida are up in Kansas City today, moved there this week, and we wish them the very best. And as we think about these men, these who we call our shepherds, um, they really are the leaders of our congregation. Well, what is a leader? What is leadership? Um, there's been lots of books, lots of blogs written, lots of speeches given about what leadership is all about. I like John Maxwell's. John's a pretty good speaker and a, a powerful teacher, and he just says very simply, leadership is influence. Uh, no matter how you judge it, whether it's in a family, in a small business, in a large business, in a school, in a church, leadership is influence. And we all have some degree, but there are certain people who have a greater degree of natural influence. It's not necessarily a title. It's not necessarily a position. Um, so when we think about our shepherds, those who lead us, we think about their influence. Well, how do they influence us? Well, some of you may know all of them personally. Some of you may know just one or two of them. Some of you may not know any of them very well, but they are men who lead us and influence us by their example, by their integrity, by the way they lead their families, by their character, by their reputation, by their Christian walk. Uh, we got to be very careful and pay attention to those who lead us. It's really important that we do that. Um, you think about in the Old Testament. I know the class, the Bible class, has been studying Genesis, but you think a little farther ahead to the kings. You think that Israel had, when they were unified and all together, uh, they had three kings, and two of those kings were very different. King Saul. He was a leader. He was called by God, but when I view it, he led mostly for himself. King David was a man who was famously after a man after God's own heart. He led, he wanted to lead the people toward God. Now, two very different leaders, two very different kings. Um, and so we think about how they led. Now, pause for just a second. I know all of you have stopped paying attention to me. Just know we have professionals who are handling it. Everything's going to be all right. We'll just continue in our worship time, stay focused on the message, and let those who are in a charge take care of what needs to happen, okay? 
So as we think about leadership, we think about the old kings and how they influenced the people. When you think about how when Israel became a divided nation, they began to have different kings who did different things. There was a lot of bad kings. There was a few good kings. But they all had influence. So as we think about seeking shepherds, what we're thinking of is godly men who exert a good influence on our family. Men of good reputation and men who are Christ-like in their influence. Now, i got to be careful here because what we're talking about this morning, the Bible gets very specific on what we're looking for, the very specific qualifications of these men. And so, I want you to open in your Bibles to a verse that we read last week in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. Now, if you don't know where 1 Peter is, you take a pew Bible from in front of you, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, page 1,298 is where that's found. Peter writes these words, so I exhort you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Look what he says here. Shepherd the flock that is among you. Peter's an elder. He's writing to elders. He says, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And we talked about this scripture last week, but I want you to think about this from the author who is writing it. Okay, this is Peter the Apostle. Uh, he has certainly got a history. Uh, he's an elder now. He's matured. He's very different than the Peter that we saw in the, Apost- in the uh, Gospels. And what he's saying here is something deeply important to all men who are shepherds. And I think in this case we could apply it to those who will be shepherds. The last time we heard from Peter, or heard of Peter rather, in the book of John... Uh, John records this very unique interaction with Jesus. Now, Jesus, Peter has denied Jesus three times, and Jesus lovingly, mercifully reinstates him. This is John chapter 21. He says, When they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, what does he say in verse, 20, or verse 15? Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the directive he gives to Peter, who will himself be a shepherd. Three things, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a reminder of Jesus to Peter. Peter, we're going to, all of that that you did, those three denials, that's water under the bridge. If you love me, that's all forgiven. But I have work for you to do. I don't want you to sit and just think, oh, I'm forever going to be known as the apostle who denied Jesus. He says, I have work for you to do. Maybe Peter didn't understand the full scope of it, but he calls him to feed the the lambs, to tend the sheep, and to feed the lambs. That's the heart of a shepherd. That's what shepherding the flock among you is all about. Um, I'm going to call a really strange audible, and Brian Middleton, I'm sorry, you're you're the closest shepherd I see, so... Because of what we all just saw, and because I know where the audience is right now, and because we're all concerned for Ted, I would like to ask you to come up at this very moment as a shepherd and pray for Ted and Diane, whatever's happening there. If you wouldn't mind to lead the flock in a prayer for Ted. Almighty God, the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, we bend our will to yours in all things. God, you know everything. Nothing is beyond your power to accomplish. And you know, and we know that you want the best for us. We pray for us, but especially at this time for Ted and for the family. You know the details of what has happened, and God, we pray that your hand is in that, that we can see you as we carry on and do the things that you want for us to do. God, there are so many things that we don't understand. And uh, through all those things, God, we pray that we can be faithful to what you want. We know that we'll have good things and difficult things in our lives, and we pray for all of that, that we can be comfortable in all those things, acknowledging that we, uh, we are in your care. And whether things are rough or the things are smooth, God, we are thankful for all that you do for us and have the ability to work with you. Pray at this time specifically for Ted and for his health, for we love him and wish the best for him. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I, I think these two things dovetail very nicely. Because I think right there you saw the heart of a shepherd. That's what God calls these men to do. And sometimes it happens at very inconvenient times. Sometimes it happens when we don't expect it. But when you think of elders and shepherds and men of God, this is what they are called to do, what Jesus called Peter to do. Feed my lambs, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. Shepherding is hard work. Sometimes it involves hard decisions. Um, Decisions that not everyone will like, nor will they understand. 
but they will be very loud to complain about. Decisions that involve loving people, but loving all the people. Shepherds don't get the luxury of leading for just themselves or for just their friends. Shepherds are to love the people, all the people that they lead, no matter what. And yes, just as Brian gave example, uh, they will pray with them. They will pray for them through the hard things of life, through sickness, through death, through times of suffering. Shepherding involves sometimes admonishing the flock, correction, gentle rebuke. Uh, for those who are straying or those who are rebelling or those who are disobeying. Shepherds hate sin because they love Jesus. And they know where sin leads. And as a shepherd, you're a target of the enemy. And he is very real and he is very mean. But if done well, Peter says that if you shepherd the flock that is among you, that the chief shepherd, when he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. As we said, we call these men elders. Sometimes we call them shepherds. You may think, why don't you understand the names? Well, the reason for the interchange of names is because the Bible has three names for these men. The first, the original term is presbyteros, which simply means an elder. Um, The basic meaning is not necessarily a specific age, but someone more mature. There's not an age test in the Bible. I think there's a reason for that. Uh, Over the history that as far back as I could trace it, we've had elders in their 40s, 50s, and 60s um, with the began in those different ages. Tonight, I hope you'll join us for a conversation with our shepherds. We're going to have a panel discussion. We've got two of our shepherds, Brian Middleton and Brent Groves. Uh, Brian, I believe, started as a shepherd in his 40s, and I believe Brent was in his 50s. There's not not an age test on this. Um, It's about maturity, it, it involves the idea of presbyteros is someone who's not a newbie when it comes to faith. This isn't their first rodeo when it comes to leadership. So uh, it's not looking at a specific age. It's looking at maturity. Age is a kind of a relative thing. Some of you know today's my birthday and uh, a little Albert Sandlin came up this morning. You know, he's about this high. And Miss I said, Albert has something he wants to tell you. He looks up, he says... Happy birthday, Mr. Toby. And I said, thank you, Albert. That's very sweet. He said, how old are you? <laughs> Trying to help him interpret that. I said, well, well, Albert, I'm 45. And his eyes got real big. And he just said, wow. <laughs> so... Presbyteros is not tied to a certain age. You know, you don't have a certain age you have to be, but there is a maturity that you're looking for in the men. They should not be new Christians. And I would say if they're leading this congregation, they shouldn't be new Northsiders because it takes a while to learn the congregation and the family and the people, which is what shepherding is all about. The second term is uh, episkopos, which is 
the term meaning an overseer. It's uh, referring to the person in charge. It's the idea of the responsibility of oversight. There's a and to be careful with this, there's a stewardship component here, but it's not stewardship. We usually, when we're in church stewardship, we equivocate that with money. It's more a stewardship of souls. The scripture says that these men will be held to account over the souls in their charge. So it's overseer, the one who's responsible. Um, the idea here being to give attention to these souls, to take care of these souls, and to accept responsibility for these souls. And the third term is poimen, and the word there means shepherd or pastor. And sometimes in a denominational world, the guy like me gets the term pastor. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a shepherd here at this congregation. I'm the preaching minister. If you call me pastor, I'm not, that doesn't offend me. I just want to clarify for you uh, that we have six pastors uh, they, have, they are responsible for shepherding the flock here at Northside. Uh, this is the idea that Peter referred to of shepherding the flock, feeding and tending and caring for those in your charge. And that's what shepherds do. Uh, the New Testament, um, there, there's a, a per- point in the New Testament, Acts chapter 20. If you're following along in your Bible, and for this series, I really hope that you are. Acts chapter 20 if you don't know where that is, page 1192, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17, then we're going to skip down to verse 28, and the reason we're going to do that is because we get all three of these terms in just a couple of verses. Uh, Luke writes, <clears throat> now from uh, Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. In, uh, this is uh, to, to Paul, rather. And then verse 28, skipping down, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves. So the first thing, he called the elders. He called the more mature ones of the church to come to him. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you episcopos, made you overseers, to care for, the word there is poimen, to pastor, to shepherd the church of God, uh, which he obtained with his own blood. And it's, it's incredible that we see these three terms in these couple of verses because they remind us that, that elders or shepherds or pastors, whatever you call them, all principally, fundamentally do the same thing. They lead, they care for God's people. And so it's important that we pay attention to the men that do that. And the scripture gives us specific qualities to look for. Now, these are the two key passages that give us those qualities. And we're going to read both of them this morning. And I hope that you'll read more, uh, both of these, not just this morning, but through the several, next several weeks. As you think about the men that we are going to appoint as shepherds. The first is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Page 1,270. And the Apostle Paul writes this to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, 
but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. Uh, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought well of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Okay? First one is 1 Timothy chapter 3. The second one is from Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Paul writes, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to those and to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, there's a couple of ways to handle these sections of Scripture. One is, and I'm sure you have probably thought, you know, I think so-and-so would make a good elder. You know, I think brother so-and-so would be a great shepherd. Well, my question is, how do you judge that? How did you decide that? Is it because he's your best friend? Is he a good old boy? Do you respect him? Is he successful? Uh, What are the reasons that you think of that name? What I want you to do is let your, your heart and your mind be sifted by Scripture. It, it, one approach is to take a name, write down, I counted 33 qualities through these two separate Scriptures. And you can go through these qualities and just kind of check them off. Now, it's a, it's a pretty high standard, you'll find. I don't think there's a perfect man out there. That's one way of doing it, that's not a bad way to do it at all. There's another way in which we can kind of take these 33 qualities, rather than give you 33 points in the sermon, I want to kind of boil them, kind of put them together and and come up with different categories that I think maybe will help us as well as we think about these two sets of scriptures. So there are four basic qualities. Now, again, this is my interpretation of it, is if you want to go through all 33 that's, that's great. More power to you. Um, I took all 33 and condensed them because there's a lot of overlap, and some of them are ex- repeated word for word. So when we have these, put all these together and kind of condense them down, I came up with four qualities. You may come up with different qualities, but uh, these are the four that I came up with from the scriptures of First Timothy and Titus. First is, these men have to be respectable. A good man with a good reputation. The scripture uses the term above reproach three times. Respectable, hospitable twice. You, you might ask, you know, has that guy ever invited us over? Do I see them practicing hospitality? 
That's a, that's a good thing to ask. That's part of bringing people into your life and showing that you care for them. He should be well thought of by outsiders, a lover of the good, upright, and holy. Okay? So, respectable is category number one. A good man with a good reputation. Number two, he should be a family leader, a family man. A man who leads his family well. Not someone who's absent physically or spiritually from his family, but he's intentional. Scriptures say husband of one wife um, manages his own household well, keeping his children submissive. Uh, his children should not be, have a reputation for being unchristlike. They should be believers. Okay, so now we understand that you know, as part of parenting, children have their own free will, and there's a certain point where they're responsible for their own decisions. But as a man who you're considering as a shepherd, ask yourself, does this man... Look at the fruit of his life. And the fruit of his life can be well shown by his family. A man might be a great leader but have a terrible family, and that's not the type of man you are looking for as a shepherd. Because the church is the family of God. So we need to to look for a man who also takes his responsibility as head of the family seriously. Number three, this man should be disciplined. The uh, idea here is a man who is fully yielded to the control of Christ. Not perfect, fully yielding himself, walking in step with the Spirit, not walking in the darkness. Uh, The Scripture said he should be self-controlled, not a drunkard, not violent. You don't want to get a guy who's a hothead, uh, who has a a reputation for a temper, Uh, not somebody who's quarrelsome and argumentative. Not someone who's greedy, a lover of money. And not someone who's even open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And not someone who's arrogant or prideful, quick-tempered, uh, violent or greedy for gain. This person should have discipline, meaning that they put themselves under Christ's rule and authority in every area of life. Again, this is not going to be perfection. We're seeking a man who's sincerely trying to walk with Christ. And the fourth one that I put in there is wise. And that is a man who is mature in his faith, enough where he not only knows God's word, but he's able to teach God's word. A good question to ask is, have I heard this man teach? Elders get asked hard questions. Sometimes people come to Northside and they say, I want to meet with the elders. And they will ask them some hard questions. Well, our, our shepherds do a good job. They, that's because Northside's been good at selecting men who are able to teach. That can be in the classroom, but, but it's the idea that sort of broadens that, that he's able to teach someone person to person to explain the fundamentals of faith. To, to refute those who would be in error. When false doctrine comes into the church, you know, when, when there's all sorts of error, you know, on YouTube and TikTok, and when members get a hold of that, they say, hey, this sounds like a great idea. You don't want elders that go, yeah, yeah, that seems to have a million views. Well, let's do that. That's not wisdom. You want shepherds who are able to teach, able to give sound instruction. 
Um, this is interestingly, number four is, if, I, if I've studied it out correctly, when you look at all of the qualifications for a deacon, a lot of them are very similar as qualifications for elders. And so sometimes in the COC we start going, well, who are the deacons? It's, you know, let's, let's, let's make them shepherds. Well, there's one difference in the qualifications for deacons and elders. And that's this, the ability to teach, the ability to instruct. And so not every deacon (laughs) is necessarily the right pick. You should ask if you're considering a deacon, well, does this guy teach? Do I know anything about his doctrine? Is he mature enough to engage new disciples? Is he gentle enough to build up those who are growing in Christ? Is he strong enough to rebuke those who are in error or bringing false doctrine into the church? Sometimes shepherds have to do those things, and that requires wisdom. So he should be respectable, he should be a family leader, he should be disciplined, and he should be wise. Think through these just for a second. Um, Respectable. The text says he should be above reproach, respectable, a good reputation with outsiders, and so forth. Every person has a good. Every person, sorry, has a reputation. We should seek a man with a good one. If we were to ask this man's family, friends, and neighbors, would any of them be shocked that we were considering him as an elder? Good shepherds have godly influence, not just in the congregation but in the business world, uh, in the communities in which they're a part of, among their their schools, um, with their neighbors and friends. What What do other people think of this man? What is his reputation like as a family leader? Um... As we said, a, a man's family is the fruit of his leadership style. I was reading a scripture this week and it just convicted me. Jesus said... The son can only do what he sees the father doing. And he was talking about his relationship with God. I think he was also giving a truism in life. (laughs) More is caught than taught. Dads can tell their sons, you know, you shouldn't have a temper. Uh, You you should be gentle and loving and kind. Um, But your son's going to follow your example more than your words. So we should pay attention to his leadership of his family and how he's done that. Uh, He's he's supposed to be the husband of one wife. An elder's a married man, uh, not single, not widowed, not divorced. And I think there's one aspect that we have to consider here, though there's not specific qualifications for his wife. Wisdom would say we should pay attention to his wife. Is she as trustworthy as he As you consider him, consider her. This is one of the reasons I think hospitality is one of the requirements for potential elders because you get to see a husband and wife interact. Uh, You will see how a man treats his wife. You will see their marriage working. Elders have to deal with hard things. And their wives help them with those things, not necessarily making decisions, but in prayer and encouragement and wisdom. Certainly, we need to have 
a wife of an elder be trustworthy as well. Um, I say this because I've seen too many churches be undone by a rogue elder's wife. And we should take that seriously. And he should manage his family well. Some men are good men. They're successful in business and respectable in the community, but they do not lead their home. Absent fathers or henpecked husbands are not good quality men for shepherding. We need to pay attention to how they lead their home. Third, on the aspect of being disciplined, uh, all of these are temperate, self-controlled, disciplined, not given to wine, not violent, not quarrelsome. All these qualities speak to a man who is led by the Spirit and not led by the flesh. Um, The challenge with shepherding, I've not been a shepherd, but my view of it is, a shepherd works as a team, right? There's no place for lone rangers in, in an eldership. There shouldn't be. Okay, so when you work as a team, you make hard decisions. It's more than just you you're thinking about. And sometimes you have to put what you want aside because the team sees it differently than you do. That requires incredible self-discipline. If you have a highway or my way attitude, shepherding is not for you. And number four, to be wise. A man who's mature in his faith and who knows God's will. Uh, This, again, is a man who is grounded in his faith. Enough that he can teach others and that he can see error in the doctrine when it's coming. He pays attention to what's being taught. uh, And he's wise enough to teach others. Okay, so those are the four basic qualities I would encourage you to continue soaking your mind and your heart in the scriptures. So I want you to do three things this week. Number one. Um, study 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. The scriptures we just kind of went over in about 12 minutes. I'd like you to spend more time meditating on those qualities as you think about the men that we'd like to appoint. Uh, Think about men that you're considering and run them through the sift of scripture. Number two, uh, consider men of these qualities. Compare their lives with what Scripture asks of them. Seek respectable family leaders who are disciplined, who are under control, under fully yielding to Christ, and who are wise. And number uh, number three is please pray for our elders. Our current six will need wisdom as they consider the names that the congregation puts forth, and we'll pray for them. And we also pray for our future elders as we consider the men who are being considered to be shepherds of this congregation. Uh, Who Northside is today has a great deal to do with the shepherds that have led us here today and in years of the past. So let us continue in that great tradition of selecting men who are respectable, family leaders, disciplined fully yielding to Christ, and wise. One final word. Uh, I don't think, I think I had one question last week. Uh, We are doing a a little panel discussion tonight at 5 o'clock and then next week at 5 o'clock with two of our shepherds. 
any questions that you would have, I would encourage you to submit. We have a green box in the foyer. There's blue sheets next to it and some pens. If you have questions for our current shepherds, either about this time or about uh, shepherding itself, please submit those and we'll do our best to answer those if they can be answered in a public way. And I'll encourage you to join us tonight at 5 o'clock for conversation with our shepherds. As we close this session, I want us all to remember um, that Jesus is ultimately the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, as Peter calls him. Uh, He gave his life for the sheep. He laid down his life willingly. And why did he do that? That we might follow him. This morning, I extend to you our traditional invitation that if you are ready to follow Jesus, if you're ready to follow him all the way and to listen to his voice and to obey him as your shepherd. Uh, We'd be happy to help you in that decision if you're ready to repent of your sin and and to put him on in baptism. We'll offer that as an opportunity to do that. Uh, If you have a need of that or any other public need of this congregation, you can head to the back and we'll receive you at this time. If you have a need, please come as together we stand and sing.